Hello and welcome to this very first episode of Safety Sisters, the podcast about the people who keep you safe. In this very first episode, I interview Katie Sonnen. Katie is the CEO of Invictus Professional Training, training for security and medical um, in events and, and in all walks of life. Katie has worked in the event security and medical uh, industry for almost 20 years and she is the first guest for the very reason that she helped me come up with the name Safety Sisters. We wanted to talk about and celebrate the women and the people uh, in our industry who work tirelessly behind the scenes to keep everyone safe Um, and I want to take this opportunity in this podcast to celebrate these people, uh, celebrate what they have to offer and share their wisdom, their experience and their knowledge um, with others in the industry to make sure that we do our best to keep people safe at events and beyond. This episode is a roller coaster. Uh, Katie has an incredible um, background and life experience um, that she shared with me and I really hope you enjoy this one Um, and some very unusual um, experiences that she has had that actually helped her in her professional life. Um, So sit back, uh, relax and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Welcome Katie, Um, this is well, this is the first interview. I'm so excited. I want to hear what you do today. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to hear how you, how you got to, what, what made you, um, what inspired you to do what you do? So I am a full-time PhD student with the Centre for Trust, Peace and Social Relations um, at the University of Coventry. Um, I've been doing that for four months now five months now so I am still essentially a PhD baby the official subject area is the behavioral science of protective security so that was pretty wide-ranging um so I've chosen to look at effectively like the perceptions of safety within large music events so very broadly are people at large music events as safe as they think they are so yeah and then I'm looking I'm hopefully going to have a particular slant on terrorism um as well because not just because it's a hot topic at the moment obviously with new legislation but um it sounds terrible it is a particular interest of mine so I did psychology and criminology um at uni for my degree and that like it's always the weirdos you know I shouldn't call them weirdos but (laughs) interesting (laughs) yeah yes not typical the atypicals um they're always ones that are slightly more interesting so I thought you know what if I can combine my years of security and crowds um with my interest in terrorism um and spend three years just totally immersed in researching that then boom like why wouldn't you do that Mm. there's probably everyone out there going why the hell would you but you know (laughs) it's what? not a curious topic <laughs> what was the sort of driving factor of this is what I want to this is why I want to do this um so it's purely selfish um I mean I can see that going forward it can have you know my findings my research will have quite interesting applications um for events and for venues but um kind of during lockdown obviously everything stopped um and we all had a bit of a panic and then started people started putting on 
um, more educational events so talks and webinars and courses and I started doing a couple of those and I suddenly realized that actually um, I haven't really been using my brain very much you know I've been kind of running on autopilot and learning bits here and there but I haven't really been stretching it a huge mm -hmm. amount um, and I really enjoy it so I was like following that um, I'd already had a couple of conversations with some lecturers just sort of like whilst working graduations and things and going oh you know I'd love to I'd love to do a PhD but I don't really want to do a master's and this one guy went well why then why why do a master's if you don't really want to and I was like well I thought you had to and he was like yeah. no so that kind of sparked a little bit of intrigue and then yeah lockdown I sort of rekindled my love of learning. Your career to date has kind of gone down many different tracks can you sort of briefly take us down that that path of how your career started and how it evolved and all the different things that you've done or your kind of highlights yeah so I graduated 2006 with um dual honors psychology and criminology with absolutely no idea what I wanted to do um I hadn't chosen that course because it was what I was in like what I wanted to do or with any particular aspirational aims it was just something I thought would keep me interested while I was at uni for those three years um considered sort of the prison service again working with unusual people um sort of the psychology side of the prison service um but thought well let's just see what happens mm. so weirdly went and worked for England rugby for a bit because that was another huge passion of mine rugby so and what um, did you do then, at England rugby I was doing promotions and events so I was all do you know what it was brilliant I was organizing yeah. touch games like pitch up and play touch games on beaches I mean um, what, a, what a great job to start with um, out of university oh yeah no cracking I just drove around and followed zap cats that these twin hulled um motorboats or race like little ribs that are absolutely insane um so I was following their tour around as part of their tour and um yeah playing rugby and chilling and going out on speedboats it was, nice. it was a very tough life oh nice. god it was awful <laughs> no, no I wonder how linked that is to psychology but I mean I it's it's a nice start so what how did that then evolve into to security and, and everything else well so I had a little bit of student loan left over um and I'd kind of you money left over security. I know I don't I don't quite know how um I did try my hardest to spend it um, <laughs> I'm obviously just too good at budgeting yeah. it sounds weird like when I was I'd go out a lot when I was at school as in go out nightclubbing um but I kind of realized it's gonna sound really awful I realized it took me a lot to get drunk um so therefore my nights out were really expensive um and I've discovered that actually I could have just as good a time if I had Haribo and Coca-Cola um, for my night and I'd still be bouncing off the walls, um, but I could drive home. So, and obviously save a load of money. So the issue with that would be that obviously I was the sober one. Um, so when you're seeing people like girls collapsing the toilets or whatever, I was the one that was then going and telling security um so I kind of had this like informal relationship with a lot of the the door staff um in various nightclubs um so they'd go in they'd ask me you know to do some toilet checks and stuff for them I then had a conversation with them and they were like you know you should think about doing this 
because there's a massive shortage of women in the security industry. So I took my leftover student loan and I booked onto a dual supervisor course. And at the end of that, I felt more unprepared for working on the doors than I did beforehand. Um, It was terrifying. But I was like, well, you know, at the time, £10 an hour, that was that was pretty good money, you know, back in the olden days. So um, one of the tutors from my course actually was like, I run a security company. I'd love you to come work for us. So did that. Um, Turned out I wasn't that bad, which was quite surprising. So that was me full time for a bit. Um, first woman to have a single, like a single door, if that makes sense. So like a one person team. Yeah. Um, first woman to be like promoted to head door supervisor. In your company, company that you worked in. In my company. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, first woman to be like promoted to overnight manager um, and to then run like the beach security teams. So yeah had some quite quite fun times there that's incredible <laughs> Katie those are huge achievements so how how old were you at this stage was this uh 22 23 wow so pretty pretty early on in your career and hitting all of these amazing um that's incredible yeah yeah it was pretty it was pretty good at the time um you know you'd have people because that was all nightclubs um so predominantly nightclubs and bars and then you know I'd get sent people to train up like new door supervisors to train up um which was quite funny really um because <laughs> again I was just kind of making it up as I went as well um and you get you know you get kind of the seasoned guys who'd be like oh you know you should come and do festivals and I was like why the hell would I want to do that mm. that sounds horrific and they're like oh no it's like you know 12 hour what, shift what sounds horrific about this crowds oh god <laughs> I wasn't that bothered about crowds at that point um just kind of like the conditions and I remember yeah. one guy trying to convince me that you know Reading and Leeds was a good idea and this other woman was like oh yeah it's brilliant you know we do we do campsites on the Sunday night and people set their gas canisters on fire and throw them at us and I was like why the hell would you want to do that Gosh. Like, why would you why if you've got the option to not go and do that yeah why would like that's insane so I was like yeah I'm quite happy going home to my nice comfy warm bed every night yeah <laughs> kind of avoided festivals like large-scale festivals as much as yeah. possible um until um I joined um quite a prolific security company again I'd put off joining them for years but it kind of got to the point where it was almost inevitable mm-hmm and part of their conditions was basically um for supervisors so again I got pushed up to supervisor within about four months and my first my first ever festival um was festival in 2012 still very new to festivals in the whole I'd had no supervisor training with this company um I'd never really seen crowds that big I'd been to like I've been as a customer to one festival, I went to V Festival um, in like 2005. So then suddenly they were like, here you go, here's two arenas to look after. I was like, cool wow. story, bro. <laughs> yeah. Huge amount of responsibility with no training or, and did you get support? I mean, and... um, not really. Like there was supposed to be another supervisor looking after one area, but he just kind of bailed. So... Wow um I just kind of got left with his area as well which is how I ended up with two I did only start with one but ended up with two 
and obviously all these teams of pretty experienced security um and i'd like to say i smashed it so you know the comments from the minibus drivers because it's quite a big site the minibus drivers on the way back they were like what are you doing to your team and i was like oh my god what what do you mean and they went your team are all really happy at the end of the shift oh and i was like if i was like isn't everyone's they're like no usually they're all proper miserable and i was like oh so then it was great because i then had staff retention i had the same team wanting and kind of like stealing wristbands which you know is bad but they were stealing wristbands to get back to my area wow and i had response teams lurking in my area rather than you know elsewhere where they should have been just because they knew that I'd be walking around and I'll have sweets and I'd stop and have a chat and explain stuff and I'd always be and treat them like human yeah yeah. but to me that was just you know part of part of it like it wasn't a special effort it was just how I thought the job should have been done Yeah. yeah and then from there kind of gone moved through things got into teaching so I started with teaching first aid um again because you, I was managing up how did you get, how did you get into teaching medical. first aid <laughs> right so, so I feel like your mind's gonna be slightly blown um so 2012 was kind of like kind of a pivotal year so 2011 uh, to 2012 I was like right I need to take some time out for me I need to go and figure out who I am what I want to do where I'm going in my life you know so my friend lives on um <laughs> lives on a cattle farm or she loves she owns a cattle farm with her husband out in Australia okay. so she was like well oh, come over so I was like cool all right booked a ticket <laughs> and did that so I was a cowgirl for three months um which <laughs> <This> is amazing <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty <laughs> It was quite fun. And actually, people are like, oh, how's that related? Do you know what? I think I've learned the most from uh, like around crowd management. And I'll probably get loads of backlash going. You're gonna have you're yeah. gonna have to you're gonna have to talk me through this one. Well, <laughs> you know, you've got a herd of cows. Yeah. You've got a herd of cows, and they're just like people, they work the same way as people. So, you know, when you're doing things like um an arena sweep. If you put someone, if you put a member of staff at the front and try and sweep people towards them, either they will turn around because they don't want to go that way. They will go around them. They will pop out the sides because you're putting too much pressure on them and you're essentially blocking the exit. Yeah. So, which is exactly the same with cows. Um, so <laughs> this is real. I knew I was going to get a gem from you. So I've seen it in action. So we've had to do, like, I've had to watch pitch clearances. Um from sporting games where you've had loads of people coming on the pitch and we've ended up to clear them and you see the security moving um and herding them because that's essentially what you're doing you're herding people because you want them to go into a specific place or a specific location so you start herding them and then you'll get this one security officer who i don't know what they're doing but they then go and stand right in the wrong place exactly you know like you'd get with a really inexperienced um um herding dog or person they'll go and stand in the wrong place at which point your nice neat herd then fractures and you get that first person who goes the wrong way yeah um that first runner and if you don't kind of corral them then your entire herd will just fracture so watching watching security teams struggling with this really basic concept and they're kind of you can see them standing there looking at each other going why is it not working and you're like 
because that one person is in the wrong place just that one person move him this crowd will move like water it'll be beautiful but while he's there your crowd will be getting more more anxious they're crowded in one place they're not moving they're not happy and they're not exiting (laughs) yeah they're not doing what you want (laughs) they're not doing what you want and they're also not doing what they want because they if they're there they generally don't want to necessarily stay there they want to move somewhere yeah um, and they're not in a comfortable position but you're kind of even though you're not physically stopping them just essentially the psychological impact of having that person in the wrong place yeah. will prevent people from walking past so crowds are like cows yep cow crowd cow <laughs> and 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 any other kind of is that sort of the kind of major the biggest thing that you picked up or were there any other insights Oh, stay away from all snakes. Um, that was quite a, quite a key one. Um, Roma cows. So yeah, Roma cattle. Wow, they are crazy. Like absolutely crazy. Do not go in there by yourself. And if you do, do not go in there with a, without a bit of hose and being able to jump the fence. That is my my cow advice. Cow advice. And actually, it's it's a lot easier to castrate than uh, than you might think it is. <laughs> well, anyone listening, you came here for crowds and you got cows. <laughs> Is that not what we're talking about? I love oh, it. Oh man. So I thought this okay. was by monthly. Wow. <laughs> so you started off saying you started teaching first aid and then we got to cows. How does this now yeah. come back to the first aid? <laughs> okay, so I then came back from from Cowland and started working for the large company um so i worked kind of all over the south and then um a particular venue in portsmouth was changing the way they did security so they were looking for some full-time concierge staff so i applied got that job also meant i moved up to portsmouth um they put me on a first aid course while i was there um the guy went you're pretty good and i was like well i've been doing first aid for a while mainly on myself but uh been doing this training for for, for and ages yeah. <laughs> and cows <laughs> no first aid from the cows that was that was the issue um so he said oh have you ever thought about being a medic and I was like not really so he said well I'm running some I'm running an event medic company so come join that so I was like okay why not extra cash um so I have my, my full-time job security and then I added medic in on the side as well great diary management and then from that, he was like, oh, um, we need a manager. So I was like, oh, OK. And in the interim, I'd left uh, the concierge role. So he was like, oh, come and come and manage my company for me. So I was like, all right. And then he was like, well, I'm doing loads of training. We've got le- getting loads of extra work in. Come and teach first aid. OK. Um, <laughs> so that kind of got to that point. So I did that for a bit. Um, at which point Carl's business um he'd kind of been through his own stuff Your husband my husband yeah, yeah. yeah um and he had decided to focus on his business so doing sort of essentially safety and specialist security training so I was like well, I could do that you know I've got a bit of experience give it a go yeah. um so I jumped in on his business and here we are and so with this company then, does the work that you do or the work that you do do, that's now on pause, does that take in all of your previous experience? Um, 
to a point, I'm going to name drop Invictus Professional Training Limited. We're here for all your security needs. Um, sorry, you got radio voice there. That was brilliant. Oh, God. oh it was awful. Um, so obviously we do like all the mandatory sort of health and safety, first aid, all that side. Um, for events then, or for any business? Any business. Yeah. We, shouldn't, we try and tailor it depending on who our clients are. So on if we're delivering to a security company we'll include catastrophic bleeding um because it's important um but if we're delivering to like a nursing home then we'll think about actually what are the real risks that they're facing what sort of yeah. home is it um yeah so that's why then we do obviously all the security uh, license linked qualifications so door supervisor security officer uh, and cctv we don't do close protection because it's not our area of expertise and um, there's a lot of really great companies out there doing it so i'd much rather send them to someone else <laughs> to be honest um and then we do a lot of sort of like post license upskilling and qualifications mm -hmm. so things like um instant response team um front of stage barrier so like lifting people over pits, um, supervisor training, pit supervisor training, um, yeah. which is quite, quite fun. Yeah. Um, reporting, recording, control room. Yeah. <laughs> if we can't do it and, you know, we're quite happy to hold our hands up. We don't do everything. Our, we yeah. don't have expertise in everything um, from our trainer team. But generally, if we can't do it, then we'll know someone really good who will, yeah, or who can. And you know, there's no point us half asking a job, I'd much rather just pass it on to someone else, yeah. And tell me about these so the post qualification training, so like the supervisor, pit crew, um, pit supervisors, um, so pit being the space between the barrier and the stage. But I mean, I, I assume that everyone listening to this works in events, so um. <laughs> like one of my kind of uh, interests and hats is the whole sort of licensing and regulation and the fact that for most of our industry there is none so um you know yeah. you're kind of thrown into these really important jobs without any kind of um training or qualification and these um these courses that you've just listed these roles are are so important and off and so specialist so there is a qualification um for front of stage barrier yeah um but we have opted not to deliver it, if that makes sense. So we deliver our own front stage barrier course um, and issue certification for that. And the reason for that is purely um, we used to, both of us individually used to used to deliver the qualification. Yeah. And it's very, very like history based. Um, there's a lot of sort of the academic side, whereas a pit, <laughs> um, I don't think there necessarily needs to be that level of understanding the like origins of a front of stage barrier, you know. Oh, yeah. in 1960, the pit would sit below. I mean, that's great. It's great if you want to find out, but actually, can I you think pull someone out of the crowd when you need to and see? That's the important bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so recognizing what normal crowd behavior looks like, recognizing what abnormal crowd behavior looks like, um, current trends as well so when you get weird and wonderful stuff like the earthquake that came out of nowhere that was great oh um, tell me more 
Yeah, it's Quake. We have like, oh, it's generally, I can't remember which DJ it is. They started at a DEF CON, I think, where they're like, right, everyone link arms and take like four jumps to the left, 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 to the right, 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 right. And you just see how many hundreds of thousands of people bouncing along, which phenomenal to watch, absolutely phenomenal to watch. Probably quite amazing to be in. Mm-hmm. From a crowd management viewpoint, bleh. that's my technical term right there. And, and it does not feel good. And for for those of us who may not work in crowd management and but work in other areas of events, translate what bleh is when it happens in real life. Well, just or how it impacts you, I, think, I guess, as as your role. Yeah, just I think the recognition of. It just takes one person in that to fall over mm. and that entire crowd could go down. And mm. then you're talking about hundreds of injuries mm. um, because it's not easy to get up from that. Like any large crowd collapse is just not easy to get up from, and especially if they're all linked together to start with. So, yeah, just that horrible feeling of unease. And have you ever it's had... Yeah. And have you ever had um, that experience of any sort of kind of collapse where you you it was challenging for you and your team or, or the team that was there to to be able to help, to be able to mitigate um, and resolve the the issue? We've had some little ones. I think I think it'd be you know ridiculous to say that, there's, that it's event, as a venue or as a as a individual that you've never experienced anything Mm. um so yeah we've had I think in various venues that I've worked with there have been challenges we've had small little crowd collapses um there have been some larger progressive crowd collapses that I was there for didn't see personally but watched the videos afterwards um Mm. just because of where I was at the time um yeah it's but there's a difference between having all those free agents, essentially, having people being able to not be interconnected and move around yep. freely and stabilise themselves. But as soon as you connect them together, then I think for me anyway, like the possibility is massively increased or yep. the impact yep. is increased. Yeah. So. Yeah. And with events kind of today or in the you know kind of post pandemic are there are there kind of other uh that you are seeing happen that is a cause for concern from your experience oh god everything's a cause for concern crowds like, are cause for concern yeah <laughs> they're very just people in general <laughs> if we could do events with no no audiences that would be amazing yeah. um but not very profitable no so. <laughs> Maybe this is why I'm not. We like, also wouldn't be there. <laughs> we <wouldn't> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone would be like, that's what tabletops are for. So there seems to have been a bit of a change in like mosh pits. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing a bit more like a higher level of aggression and intentional wounding and hurting that wasn't necessarily there before. And of the crowd to yeah. each other. Or of the crowd yeah. towards security, of the crowd to each other, yeah. The crowd to each other, so within like the actual mosh pit itself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably just, well, partly down to lack of experience. So if you've got people who haven't been, you know, 
generally with mosh pits you kind of you grow up you learn how the mosh pit works you don't kind of blast in on your first one and start throwing your arms around mm. you maybe kind of see what happens see what the social norms are then get involved and you learn fairly quickly it's a fairly self-regulated area mm. personally anyway it seems at the moment that there's like a higher level of crowd killing and yeah like intentional aggressiveness mm-hmm. um rather than you know the kind of free expression and like chaotic dancing yeah if that, that makes is sense. usually associated with with mushing yeah 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 so that's something that we've had to kind of keep an eye on and also yeah. it can be quite dangerous like not dangerous it can be quite difficult to manage yeah as well because there's a really fine line between people punching each other in the face for fun um and it kind of being consensual and everyone being happy and one guy punching another guy in the face <laughs> bizarre and you know the the puncher having a great time but actually the person being hit kind of not being up for that yeah which you know if you take that out of the mosh pit that's assault it's an arrestable offense yeah bosh you know done but because it's in a mosh pit it's within you know the social norms of the mosh pit but then also you've kind of got the well you know why he wants to express himself and he's come here specifically to release that energy and have a good time and his having a good time is impacting on other people but then who says that other people's right to enjoyment is more important than his so then you're kind of faced with like the one versus the many so you know obviously punching people in the face is unacceptable but even things like you know large dancing you've got people trying to start crowd surges so Mm -hmm. they'll literally like run into harder bodies of crowd um just to try and get that movement going which again it's not acceptable but it's also not like it's not criminal behavior it's just Mm. unacceptable behavior if that makes sense within 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 the the societal norms within the yeah the psychological and, and and yeah yeah so generally you know you talk to people you make them aware you tell them you know clearly their level of energy is way above what everyone else is doing um and maybe they just need a bit more space or to just tailor their behavior slightly but it is kind of difficult because why should one person be tailoring their behavior you know if you've got one person singing their heart out having the absolute best time but it's ruining it for other people Mm. then why why does everyone else's enjoyment count for more than that one person Mm. which is kind of difficult and kind i think probably leads to like thinking about what happened in I want to say Manchester was it the bodyguard I don't think it was Manchester actually oh With the, the, the theatre audiences yeah yeah uh I can't remember what city was it yeah but it was um yeah it was the the bodyguard theatre show and yeah continue oh yeah so you've got people singing along having a great time but then other people complaining yeah because they couldn't hear the singing and you know both people are enjoying but it's just different, like the different expectations. And again, yeah, when, I think that's kind of come out of it as well. Yeah. When does it cross that threshold of what's acceptable and what's not in what situation? Yeah. Yeah. No, these are like, they're kind of the eternal question, isn't it? And it's oh, that, yes. um, you know, when you're in that environment and you're managing that environment and you're going, when, like, the, like, it's almost like you're watching it and it's like the only way you can respond is by your gut feeling going, okay this is starting to this is starting to kind of escalate do I need to interject now is it going to die down by itself 
is this now unacceptable behavior um and it's not black or white at all actually and I guess that's the yeah. challenge with humans is we are humans and we have um, this ability to make all these different decisions at any one time and um so yeah thank you for that for that insight I guess my kind of one of my final questions um is what would you like to see change or improve that just makes the industry a better place to to be in I think if everyone's egos fell off then the industry would (laughs) I think the industry would be massively improved um just because I find that they like they get in the way um so I'm not saying they're necessarily bad things but they do get in the way Mm. um and like especially when you then have this like perceived hierarchy between um like different different groups like all the different groups that make up an event there Mm. is well yeah other people may disagree but I definitely think there is a perceived hierarchy mm-hmm. um so you kind of have like your security and then below that you've got your stewards I think possibly slightly above that you've got medical mm. um rigors um so rigors uh crew kind of I feel like I think everyone will have a different idea of where their own industrial work group sits within that hierarchy Mm. but I think they tend to get shoved fairly low down the bottom Mm -hmm. um and then at the top you've got sort of like definitely the police the police always seem to be at the top of everything which is frustrating incredibly Mm. frustrating um obviously depending on on the individuals but yeah sometimes kind of that recognition that actually other people may know more than you other Mm. people specialize in different things and this perceived hierarchy um isn't helpful so when you've suddenly got you know medic like medics kind of lording it up and assume that they can do whatever they want because they're wearing a medic uniform Mm. and kind of you know they can take breaks when they want and rubbing that into security's face Mm. they're very very different job roles Mm. um it's just it's just frustrating and unnecessary but I think it just gets perpetuated as well that's probably not the answer please delete all of that no do you know what (laughs) you you're saying something that I've actually been thinking about this last while um that I've just noticed like the egos and yeah that perception of hierarchy and like I know better than you and actually that egotistical approach um and coming from that perspective from that kind of triggered ego perspective increases risk to safety like increases risk to safety of the audience um because the police will come in as you say and you know not bashing the police or anything but like let's say the police come in and go well I know I know this and you don't it's like yeah but I'm a crowd safety professional and I've been working in crowd safety for blah, blah, blah. okay what do I know um and I you know I'm the first you need to move this HVM just for fun yeah well I mean you know the like <laughs> I'm so glad we spent hours designing it and working out the risk and doing yeah. all of that for you to just come along and move it because you know 
yeah. gets in the way for you and your van like yeah all right then or or you you spend you spend meetings and meetings with counterterrorism, um designing the hvm around your shuttle bus load zone and then you're and then you show up and they've dropped the HVM right where the load zone loads people onto buses. And you're Amazing. like, how am I going to get my people onto buses now? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And and if like, and I even noticed as I kind of attack my own ego and challenge my own ego um, and try and focus on just doing the best job that I can, I do see that sort of like ego in other people um, and how that sort of um, is almost the driver of them rather than like their desire to keep people safe being the driver. Um, so you're touching on something very important. And also um, the the attitude towards stewards and security is to me pretty inhumane as an industry. Oh, you know, we treat them less as human uh, we call them jacket fillers. We call them, uh, I don't know, what what other sort of insults. And it's like, hold on a second. We're paying these people pittance per hour. And we're expecting them to smile, stand up for hours, deal with thousands of people who could be drunk and angry or drunk and angry. We need them to give directions. Obviously, know where the emergency exit are. Be able to know what to do in an emergency. Be able to direct people out approach a suspect package putting themselves at risk approach a suspect person putting themselves yep. at risk we want them to do all of this stuff but then pay them very little amount and then on top treat them as such treat yep. them you know like they are less than and this is something that I'm rattling my head of like how can we change this attitude because we're we're not giving these people the respect they deserve um, and then because they're treated with this disdain, they're going to act. They're going to act up. They're going to act like, I don't want to be here. I don't care to be here because you don't treat me with respect. And then it just perpetuates the whole cycle. Um, you know, it's like, we're why, basically... why should I go out and do extra qualifications and learn more when I'm not going to get paid anymore for it? And I'm still yeah. going to get treated like poop. So yeah. But yeah. again, we still expect them to go out and, you know, the license linked qualifications, everyone complains about the PI. The physical intervention yeah um but it's not designed to be the only course that someone undertakes it's designed to be a general base level for people to then go on and and upskill yeah and like you said like the whole inhumane thing you know i've i've worked build and break shifts where you know you're on overnight so you're doing 12 14 16 hours overnight um and you know it's it's a moment of celebration on like day four when the portaloos delivered mm. because you know up until that point you've been going in a bush um yeah. and you know you, you're going to the toilet in a bush and you're finding people dogging you know it's yeah. it's it's unbelievable or you're there sat in your car you know by yourself um with a radio that may or may not work possibly got a team possibly not and you kind of think you know are we are we doing enough are we doing enough in terms of welfare are we doing enough mm. in times of like loan working and making sure that they're okay mm. um and then you know you drive around I've been the person who drives around and catches people asleep mm. and yeah at the time it was really frustrating but looking back you think 
well yeah fair enough like <laughs> they're probably working day shifts as well yeah yeah because we're no. not paying them enough and we don't even give like just you know, we all know what it's like to not be given the basic level of respect of not being fed and not being able to go to the toilet once again these are like basic human rights and necessities and we're not they are human rights yeah like we're not being given them um working on an event so you know like I would just walk away now (laughs) I wouldn't stay for it but like I you know I wouldn't have before I would have put up with all these different um levels of, of 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 crap basically um to be able to I mean I don't know why pay for you know be able to earn the money that I was earning but yeah, we put up with so much and that's why I really just dislike um, about this industry and I, I want it to change is that we need to respect everyone and we need to treat them with the respect they deserve and we need to pay them properly, feed them properly, <laughs> um, yeah. welfare them properly and put the right trained people in the right positions. Um, yeah, and it is difficult because events take a lot of human resource. Like there's a lot of stewarding that's needed and, mm. you know, if it's if we can like I always look at when we design the crowd safety plan is like design out the problem as design out you know the 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 risks as much as possible and then the last layer that goes in are the humans because you want the less humans you put in the less risk to them as well you know that you're yeah. everyone at risk that is in the crowd so it's um yeah I haven't I haven't found a solution yet apart from accepting that we need to up the budgets and for some reason seeing seeing security not as a cost but as um the reason the event can go ahead you know yeah so well, it's so it's just so frustrating you know and you get security i think the companies are just as guilty if that makes sense because yeah. but quite a lot of them you do just get treated like a number you know yeah. you are number whatever yeah um and because you're not an employee because you're a subcontractor actually they've got no requirements to provide you with a toilet or to provide you with food Mm. and because you know one of the first things that happens when you join a security company is you're asked to sign obviously it'll be different now because we're out of the eu but you get asked to sign out of the working time directive meaning that you can work you know all the time if you want yeah um so it's just i think if companies take more responsibility you know essentially the better you you teach your staff or the better you treat your staff the longer and more loyal they'll be Mm. so why aren't we treating them all better Mm. yeah good question (laughs) and that is the challenge to the industry (laughs) but we do need to raise awareness you know and, and i think there's a lot of people i guess we don't know it we don't know that as an industry we're doing it to ourselves yeah like we're causing and there's a lot of acceptance yeah Yeah. and even like I was talking to one event organizer and she was like why are security always like this and blah blah and I was like well if you plan your event don't bring in the security plan until last minute then bring in the security plan you're giving them no time to plan no time to put in good measures no time to get the right staff that they need the best staff um and then she goes so actually we're part of the problem I was like yes yes thank you (laughs) yes hey yes i don't want to say it but yes you are the earlier you bring in the the crowd safety element actually like it's i just it's like the 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 event needs to be 
designed in threaded with crowd safety because the event brings crowds crowd safety is the you know and then you yep. so you get this team in to as you to design your event um, and then all of a sudden you've got event infrastructure event schedules event access that is conducive to supporting crowd safety um, and then also you get to book in all the staff needed earlier on you know they, they're they're brief better they're trained better they're it just, you know, it just makes it for a better event and actually then more cost effective because you're not having to then get in so many staff because of yep. all these errors made in the design of the event, you know. So actually it's a yeah. cost saving. It, it's, it saves on cost. And I don't think people really understand that too well. Um, so no, I was, yeah. I was reading something, funnily enough, um, the other day and it was um I can't remember exactly where when I find it I'll send it to you but it was basically saying that on a multi-day event so like a festival um it's common for up to 20% of security staff to walk off after day one wow that's a big number yeah and it's also a big number that I don't think kind of gets passed up yeah so now you think so the security companies are inflating their numbers in order to cover that shortfall yeah. And they'll have done that in advance. But actually, like you said, if you were training people and treating people better, then if we could get that down to like 5%, you're always going to have walk-off. Yeah. It's always going to happen. If you could get that down to 5%, 10%, then actually you're saving a fair amount of money because you're not paying people to be there just in case. Yeah. It just, I think a lot of the time, You've got management going in who are very good managers, but haven't necessarily worked on the ground. Mm -hmm. So they've never been at the bottom. And then you've got people coming up from ground level who are kind of super excited now because they're managing and they're, they're amazing. And, you know, they kind of get the ego boost that way. But they also then kind of forget what it was like at the bottom. Mm. Um, like we have one one manager who at the end of we'd have briefing a debrief at the end of a shift and pretty much everyone he'd go well yeah we survived that didn't we and you're like what message is that saying to your staff mm. like and these are you know two and a half thousand person gigs they're not you know they're, they're all right but you know if that's what you're saying oh yeah well we survived that we were pretty lucky weren't we well what kind of planning did you have in place where you have to rely on luck yeah for that to go okay like, that's not filling me with hope as a if I'm you know one of those staff on on the ground it doesn't make me want to come in the next day and be part of a family or part of a team yeah no that's yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't get passed up because the security companies don't want to show that there's I'm quoting I'm quoting air quotes quote unquote failing um yeah. when it's not failing it's like the amount like you know when I've been on the side of booking security staff I'm like, please be honest with me. What are your shortages? Please be honest with me. Because if you're honest with me, then I can go and change the plan to be able to. And they'll just go, yeah, no, we're fine. We're fine. And then the day comes where it's too late for me to change the plan and we're short. And it's like, yeah. if you if you had just been honest with me and like, I really value that honesty because yes, it's vulnerability, but invulnerability is power because it's like, you know that you're not going to get 
in trouble it's like I, I because the earlier you can tell me we can work together to come up with a solution um yeah. and I think there's still that sort of like fear of shame or something um with the security and stewarding providers to then turn to you know the crowd manager or the um event organizer and go actually we've had 20 percent walk off like they're not going to say that are they they're going to be like everything's fine all the positions are covered and then we're walking around site going why is there no one at the accessible viewing platform why is there no one like do you know yes, there it, should be people here yeah 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 I'm like I sorry this was on the dot plan um you know and it like and it has a huge impact because you know let's say you needed nine lanes you know for your search and now you've only got five like that's gonna change your plan you know yeah so it's like from the the security and the stewarding companies to just be honest and 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 you know and like well I guess it's for the whole industry because a we want mm. the security and stewarding companies to be honest but then b we want the clients to not eat their head off we want the clients to go thank you for being honest thank you for letting me know let's work together yeah. to come up with a, a solution um yeah and that once again that is taking that ego right out of it isn't it like we just need to drop our egos and go we're working on this together um and that is one team one love yeah 100 percent. like why do we need to be horrible to each other and like I do wonder like is you know with with what I talk about with um uh with 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 Naomi on the Meliorum Aventus like the fact that we're under so much pressure you know mm. if you see me after like a full night's sleep and a day off or you see me after no night's sleep and working 12 hours which one's going to be grumpy Issei which one's going to be happy Issei you know, so yeah. if we're like under extreme pressure, it's almost like you've got this pressure gauge coming down. It's like the steam is going to spew out the sides and we're just going to attack each other and have a go at each other. And when we find one fault, attack the other person. So I think it's just this like evil cycle that because we're all exhausted, it's hard for us to be jubilant and happy because there are reserves. Yeah. We're in fight or flight. So like I see this as like a whole cyclical kind of thing. So Oh, it is. Could you imagine if rather than doing like 12 or 18 hour shifts on a festival, everyone was doing like seven or eight hour shifts? Like a normal instead. day. Like a normal day. Like a normal, a normal, a normal, normal quote day. Um, but would it be a logistical nightmare? Yes, it would. Would it result in potentially better and safer events? Do you know what? Possibly. <laughs> because you know by the time it kind of gets to if we're honest when we're expecting the major issues or the biggest worries to happen isn't you know right at the beginning it's mm. usually towards the end yeah and when everybody is proper hanging out at that point when actually they're needed the most why aren't we taking those steps to prepare for that and almost like counteract it and especially when you've got multi-days as well, you know, by day three, something happens, you know, headline set 10 to 11 on a Sunday night of a festival. Would your response be exactly the same as it would have been at, you know, midday on the Friday? Mm. Possibly, but possibly not. And by response, I mean like your decision making. Yeah, yeah. Um, would it be as fast? Would it be as accurate? Would it take into account as much? I, I don't know and that's just in itself kind of concerning yeah I completely agree and 
when we're exhausted, we, I mean, you know, the evidence is out there. We, we don't make right decisions. Um, and I keep referring back to this um, study. Which book was it in now? Blah, was it um, Thinking Fast and Slow? Perhaps. Um, is it Daniel Kahneman's? And uh, he talks about the study done on uh, judges and when they're getting, um, what's that, when someone appeals to be released, what's that called going on, what's that word? Parole. What? Parole? Yeah, some, yeah, when they get the um, people apply for parole, yeah, to be released early and they read the application, you know, that they've been, you know, that they want to be released early. And they were stu um, studying all these judges about their decision making um, and they found that after they ate so after breakfast and after lunch they were more likely to say yes and when they were hungry so just before lunch and then coming into the evening like when they were getting tired is when they were their default like was no so when we are rested and well fed and basically in our rest and digest we can make better decisions because we're using our uh evolved brain when we're tired and hungry we default back to our primitive brain um and we make decisions from our fight or flight so i completely agree with you um we yep. are we're not putting ourselves in positions to be making the best decisions um when we're that tired and we're making decisions that impact the safety of thousands of people including our staff Yay. <laughs> And including us as well. And including us, including us. Yeah. So yeah, these there's a there's a lot that this industry um needs to do to I think have a future <laughs> because we're just all going to burn out and give up otherwise. Um, and then the, there's no one for the governments to go. Hey, I need you to put on this event. Need and you've got ten days to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also kind of what happened with like covid like you had a whole load of people leave all sectors of the events industry yeah just yeah. because you know they had to um and so like that, that sector knowledge was still i think now even you know what we're a year year and a half on yeah i think there's still that frantic scrabble to kind of regain some of that knowledge um yeah. or upskill people to that level but you can't regain experience so yeah it's yeah it's tough but also then I find, again, coming back to the ego, quite a lot of the time people kind of knowledge, some people, not all, some will knowledge hoard and they're like, I know everything. I won't share any of my information with you <laughs> because then you might take my job. And you're like, great, but what happens if you break your leg or, yeah. you know, your head falls off? Um, yeah. No one else can now step in. So yeah. why aren't you building a more resilient, infrastructural network yeah. uh, and supporting everyone so that actually the, all the job can get done in the yeah. safest and most efficient way yeah I remember someone told me many years ago about like when it comes to writing your plans they said I want the information I want in this plan is that if you dropped it on the floor and someone picked it up and never met you they could deliver it yeah and that is how I approach my my plan writing is like very plain English this goes here at this time <laughs> Agreed yep. by this person. <laughs> yeah, that is what I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh, thank you. So this has been like such an enthralling conversation. And I just love listening to 
all of your your wisdom and especially when it comes to like your experience because I find interesting is like when people are like oh you're in crowd safety you know everything I'm like no I don't know everything like my crowd safety is like the kind of zone x crowd safety like the transport like the outside of the you know the world like one of my least experiences is actually what you're really experienced in um which is the the pit side which is what I'm really fascinated of learning more um so I just I'm getting a pit huh <laughs> come and get in a pit well then yeah I, I I know I know I need to do it I that's like it's one not something you can learn from by just no, watching I know. I just get watch. in a pit. yes I just it's the it's the arm it's the arm strength that kind of lift and then <laughs> ah no arm strength that's no? the beauty of it no yeah. all leg yeah yeah so and this is part of it so there'll be loads of different videos going forwards and backwards and obviously everyone's got their own preferred method and um we're currently going through like a review of our techniques against other people's techniques just to make sure that we are doing the best that we can um but yeah it doesn't rely on strength like the strength helps but generally if they're crowd surfing like the crowd have done all the work for you they're already up I guess all you yeah need you're, to do you're is, kind of a below them aren't you yeah all you need to do is guide them to the floor and make sure their head their head doesn't is the last yeah I mean, there are times where people will end up on the floor. It's inevitable. So if you've yeah. got a massively busy pit and you don't have enough staff or yeah. it's just unexpected, they, like the per the crowd staff coming over, can end up on the floor. Yeah. But it's just about making sure the head is the last thing. Yeah. So, but we try and obviously never aim for that. Yeah. It's <laughs> <That is> literally <laughs> a survival <laughs> mode right there. So um, is it more of a technique know. of pivot? as you uh as you guide oh God, no no pivoting oh, i just wanted Protect to say pivot, really. <laughs> oh no you can pivot if you really want but no it's just about getting under the shoulders yeah. so getting under the shoulders and then a coordinated step down yeah. um and then you know make the person do most of the work it's different yeah. a crowd surf is very different to a pullout uh-huh. where actually you are going to have to lift but then hopefully you've done a lot of work in the build up to that with okay. like the crowd at the front of stage barrier so okay. they are all on your side and they basically love you yeah um so that when it comes to lifting this person out actually your crowd are helping so you don't have to do all the lifting yourself ah, always nice. get the crowd on side yep 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 i've had dance-offs with members of the crowd in like during changeovers trying love to keep it. them happy love um, it yeah i've not confiscated their sweets so i've had ones that have like snuck sweets in past security on the front doors and i'm like oh banging opal fruits thank you very much yeah. um and they're like oh we thought you're going to confiscate them and i was like well you've already got them in like yeah and you're feeding me point? so <laughs> yeah like i'm i'm not taking responsibility for the search team they've got their job ultimately if it was a giant bag of crack then yeah, I would take it off you. But <laughs> it might, it's a, might elicit a different response. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's opal fruits. It's going to keep me happy. It's going to keep you happy. And if you're, if my crowd are happy, then it makes my job a lot easier. So, yeah. and they that. will tell you stuff like they'll tell you what's going on as well because again, you can't see. You've got you know a crowd of two and a half thousand, mm. and you've got let's go for eight eight people in the pit. You can't see everything that's going on and with the density as well. So you having that good rapport, meaning that someone turns around and goes, actually, this guy behind me is being really creepy and really inappropriate. Yeah. Cool. 
thank you, thank you for telling us. We'll yeah. take him out and have a chat. Yeah. And at bare minimum, we'll move him in the crowd so that he's not near you. Yeah. So. Nice. Yeah, I love walking. I love the pit. Pearls <laughs> of wisdom from KT on on pit security. <laughs> and oh, yeah. crowds like cows. <laughs> crowds like cows. Oh, I love it. Well, oh, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing um everything that you shared. I mean, I found it fascinating. Um, so I hope that um those listening also um enjoyed the journey. Um any parting words from you, Katie? No, just thank you very much for having me. And hopefully this doesn't lead to a whole load of cancellations in my diary. <laughs> Where everyone goes, oh my God, she's a nutter. Right, cross her off. No, oh, oh Katie, sorry, we suddenly don't have the budget for you anymore. Oh, oh I, I I think I think the uh the effect will be uh will be the other way around. Um I certainly have just found it fascinating, your your just breadth of experience and you know, when it comes to the the kind of medical side and the security side, and and now you're studying, you know, the in in your PhD, you know, especially with the the Martin's uh, the Protect Duty Martin's Law that's coming in, um, we need you now more than ever. Um, and I personally would feel safer at any event knowing that you had a hand in some part of the planning or are there in the pit. I'll be there. And I'll bring some. I'll bring some fruit pastels <laughs> if I get it through. <laughs> So I, Do you know what, I would always, I'll always let fruit pastel through. <laughs> don't quote me on that, anybody. Like, oh god, keep her I in the see it now. Don't put her on search. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna but, have. I'm gonna oh, get all these messages you. going. Hey, we confiscated loads of fruit pastels. They were all full of crack after your after your interview. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> oh, but, but thank if you, you, so, if you so much. if you do ever see me on an event site. I will always have sweets on me. So just because I walk around and hand them out, which is probably a bit weird, but um we all need I'm that bit of sugar. Yeah. We all need yes. that bit of sugar to keep us going. Oh yeah. But no, um, thank you so so much for for your time and your wisdom. And I'm just very grateful to have you in this industry, and I'm very grateful to be working alongside you and hopefully working together to make this industry a safer place to work in. Um, and to enjoy events in. So thanks again, Katie. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and follow the show for more episodes to come. If you would like to learn more about crowd safety, you can visit my website and blog at isamurphy.com. That's I-S-E-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com.